Do you want right. to finish on it doing the introduction? <laughs> I yeah. do want to do it. Oh, good. Hello, and welcome to The Librarian is In, the New York Public Library podcast about books, culture, and what to read next. I'm Crystal. Wow, I'm Frank. It's incredible. It's only because I wrote that down. <laughs> blown away. I, I was feel like, like, Frank is going to do this to me again, so I'm going to write this down. <laughs> you really come prepared. I have to say, your your stentorian, assertive, confident means. manner made me feel instantly safe. Okay, let me Google stentorium now. Hold on. I know. <laughs> stentorium. Loud and powerful. Wow, I've never been described as loud. No, I have been described as loud, but not powerful. And I like Very it. Powerful. I like the feeling. That's the vocab word today, stentorian. That, but you... Yes, and I instantly was like, I feel comforted, safe, and, and serene. I can I can get through this day thanks to Crystal's assertive intro. Like you're being wrapped in a blanket. Can you tell I don't want to be in charge, really? <laughs> None of us do, really. Christy should be the one that's in charge here, honestly. Although most of the time it is like Christy cook corralling cats with the yeah. two of us. Even though I, I feel conscious that I'm the senior member in many ways of the podcast dealio but i want to defer yeah. to you I'm but i you have, so you have to take uh, i know i'm like the oldest person in the library but uh no you're not you have to um see i just said i don't want to be in charge i want to curl up in a ball but if someone i know enough now after millions of years this kid's knocking at the door out there what do they want do you hear them i do hear them <laughs> It's, there's to- we had toddlers in here, and they're fascinated by getting into this room. They're crying. I can hear that. This, this kid, um, before I set up in here, uh, was just, this toddler was standing in the middle of the, I'm in the program space, which is very beautiful, sitting in the, standing in the middle of the program space alone, just going, hello, hello, <laughs> hello. The ceilings are really high. Maybe that's oh, why. They like the so echoey noise. Get out of here, kid. I got a podcast. <laughs> But uh, it's sweet. I actually like that. But um, I was talking about my psyche, about being in control. And But what I was saying is I want to defer control, but I have trust issues. So I have to really, really trust you and feel safe um, beyond just a assertive manner to actually cede that control. Okay. That's your homework for next time. <laughs> Take control of me. Take control. <laughs> You're like no to self. Take I don't know how what that means in the virtual context. Hmm. It's by attitude, radiating confidence. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna tell you, even though I just I'll, did. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> but I'll fight. I might fight you on it because I'll be like, I can't trust you yet. I'm. I can't, and then I'll just give in, like a romantic <laughs> novel. Did you see that there is a All Quiet on the Western Front movie coming out? Mm. I thought of you when I saw that. I'm not no, going to watch I, it. That's funny because somebody asked for that book mm-hmm. the other day and it was out, checked out, and were a couple of copies. And I had said, oh, I've recently read that. So now it's, because, well, maybe because there's a movie, a new version of it. It's a new version of it. From what I've read of the initial like reviews, it seems like it's really good, but also very, very gory. Because if it's going to accurately capture the book, I think it has to be pretty dark, right? Mm. So I probably won't see it for that reason because it was a hard enough time like reading the book itself. But if people want to watch it, I heard it was good. Well, you know, 
you just brought up uh, an issue I was thinking of talking about. It sort of relates to the book I read about, I don't know, any thoughts on turning books into movies mm-hmm. or series? Because mm-hmm. it seems so, I mean, it seems first, well, it's always been done since movies have yeah. begun, but um, it seems like there's such a need for content now with like streaming services and cable channels and mm-hmm. network and all sorts of venues that need material that it seems like the pipeline between like a book and being televised or picturalized is an immediate one. Um, and I sort of, you know, in Frank style, get on this thing about purism, about like, you know, like there's something very um, beguiling and magical about J.D. Salinger never intentionally selling the rights to catch her in the ride to become a movie. Mm-hmm. And it never has. And mm-hmm. I find... And another example, and so there's this sort of like maybe hoity-toity purism about that. Like, I love the idea that it's just a book experience. There's no visuals attached to it, no reinterpretation of it. Mm -hmm. And um, the the other thing is like, there's a play and possibly a TV series based on A Little Life, the Hanya Yanagihara book. Mm -hmm. Somebody who knows I love that book or just was, had a great experience with that book. It was a tense experience said oh my god you must be dying to see this and I actually said I don't really want to see it mm-hmm. that book a little life was such a an experience as a book I I don't know if I want to see someone's interpretation of it even though of course I'm beguiled mm-hmm. but I don't I sort of was like no I don't that book was such a book experience that feels like it might just be a televised series of suffering that the book was mm-hmm. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I see that sometimes with things that are very beloved, right? When you like really love the show, like I really years ago, I used to watch that show Justified. And then I think they're doing more seasons of it. And I'm very wary of it because it's like, if you love the original so much, is it going to ruin it if they don't do a good job here? And there's been cases where like they have done a good job and it's like great. And other times where it's really disappointing, right? Maybe like a little bit of rest of development or some other shows. But I also think there is something about with like books. I mean, those are just television examples, but with books where um, once the copyright like elapses on them and then it becomes something that everybody can really like play with and create with. I think that's really fun and kind of like exciting. Um, I know a big one is certainly, was it Pride and Prejudice, which is something that's been rehashed over and over and over again. And and granted, I'm sure there's like 80% of it is just like terrible trite stuff. But once in a while you do get like some really interesting things that come of it. I think I liked, um, what was that book, Eligible? Was it by Curtis? Sittenfeld? Yeah, where I was like, this is an interesting take on it in a really modern context. I really enjoyed reading it, and it didn't diminish my enjoyment of the original book at all. Um, So, yeah. Did you read that book? Sorry, I'm laughing only because you're sitting with your arms folded. (laughs) This is like a very... Jacket, and there's a you your background is a herd of horses you sort of look like a cowboy and I, I did also mention justified which i've been and you are you, you've lot. got a very <laughs> sort of elder male macho like a, like a, going, rancher, rancher look going yeah 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 yeah. i'm going for that if people don't know google meets they have all of these new backgrounds 
And uh, we like to spice things up with a nice background now and again. And this one's a herd of horses. So riding off from the sunset. But your your arms are folded. You look like, yep. <laughs> Wrangling season's coming up. Um, it's cold. That's why. I know, but it's the whole mise-en-scene you created. Uh, but to, yeah, the movie, books into movie, but there's also an experience when I'm reading a book that I sort of don't like when I feel like I suddenly get this consciousness that the writer is writing the book almost as a precursor to something to be mm. filmed because I guess there's a lot of money in that. Yeah. And not maybe as much money in writing a literal book. Um, but I, I hate that feeling that I'm reading like a draft for a screenplay. Um, I, I would agree yeah. with that. I feel like I've noticed that um, honestly with a lot of YA books, especially ones that like YA movie stuff really blew up with Twilight and Hunger Games. And I felt like I would read some books where I'm like, is this, are you writing the story for the reader to enjoy or are you writing a book to pitch to a movie company? Um, definitely felt that. Yeah. That's, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I hate that. I, I, I mean, it, it Obviously, the, reading a book is, is an experience for me that's very important and to know or feel that the author is just, it's just me and the author's words and that author spent time and thought putting into those words for a book means a lot to me. But I also actually, speaking of all of it, I just saw a play or a musical based on Wuthering Heights, which all you loyal listeners out there will know is one of my favorite books. Um <laughs> In that case, I couldn't resist. I mean, maybe the older it is, the more like, all right, I'll, I'll see an interpretation of this. I don't know. Um, so I saw this interpretation and, you know, it had its charms and benefits. And I eventually, it's, oh, it, what it did was, which a lot of interpretations of Wuthering Heights don't do, is that it went into the, the, second, the uh, second generation of characters uh, mm-hmm. that are always cut off, like Heathcliff and Kathy's, the next generation, that they always end with Heathcliff Heathcliff and Kathy <laughs> and don't include the, the following generation, but this play did. So it got more whimsical once Heathcliff and Kathy were off screen because they're the, they're the show for me. But I was telling a friend who I saw it with after that, I can't accept these Heathcliffs really mm-hmm. or Kathy's because, and I thought maybe it's because, and this maybe is the core in my mind, the imagination provided for me by Emily Bronte in writing these characters was so vivid and important and emotional that seeing it actually actualized can only diminish it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that the Heathcliff there is, you know, well, he's a little on the skinnier side or, you know, <laughs> or, you know, he does this or they chose to give him this accent. And especially Heathcliff is such a mysterious character. Um, to sort of literalize it or actualize it diminishes it possibly because your imagination is your, the most powerful tool really. But I guess there could be some, you know, picturalizations of a book that you could find satisfying, I suppose. But I just had that experience. Like I just feel like, you know, actualizing Heathcliff just never really quite works for me. Lawrence Olivier in the thirties came close, but anyway, I guess it's different if you are very invested in some of the characters, but apparently it's also like, just let it be its own separate thing. Like you can still love the book as a separate entity and let the television adaptation be what it is, you know? 
but you know what? I don't want to work that hard. Like I said, <laughs> at the top of the show, I want it to take me over and emotionally enrapture me. I don't want to be like, let me let this stand on, on its own feet. A work of art needs to take control of me and say, you're going to love me. Y'all going to love just, just treat it like you know, the Marvel superhero world where it's parallel universes and they exist in a different world and you don't have to confront it. Let's not get started. <laughs> Marvel universe. Do you know what song I just sang? Sing it again. You're gonna love. Me. What? Wait, were you seeking some high parts? Because they didn't come through the mic. Maybe it was so high, it just left the register of human hearing. That was uh, Dream Girls. What and I'm it? telling you, I guess that's not going to read because it sort of blew out our, our little <laughs> laptop system. <laughs> so, you know, let's launch. So I'll just go into it. I was going to let, I was going to let, how kind of me, go first, but it just, I'm just going to talk on like I do. Mm-hmm. Have we been breaking our 60-40 rule? <laughs> no, I think it's been like 63, 40, 37. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Of talk, talk ratio. I read um, Ian Reed's new book called Ian We Reed. Spread. Well, anyway, Ian Reed, We Spread. He wrote, I'm Thinking of Ending Things which from like five or six years ago. And I loved that book, talked about it on this podcast. We can link to it. Um, I really love that book. It, you know, it could be, have some horror elements. They also, you know, horror elements, but to me it was just a beautifully written um, with horror elements that I love. Um, I guess I'm always searching for non-genre terms, but thrillery, but yet with a poignancy. It was so um, horrifying in a way, but poignant at the same time and had a real sense of dread to it in the most profound way. But So I really fell in love with that book and it took me totally by surprise. Um, it was also one of those books that, you know, you know the, the, the author is male and st- starts off, you're not sure what gender it is or what he's trying to do. Um, but anyway, and then you become beguiled, completely beguiled by it. So his new book, so any book he writes, I sort of want to read. And his book, We Spread, um, is his third fiction book. The middle one was called Foe, F-O-E, which I also talked about on the podcast because I read everything he writes. And, you know, I'm thinking of anything that was made into a Netflix movie and Foe, is actually going to be made into a movie apparently with Shersha Ronan and mm-hmm. we spread. I just heard is, is also bought by a film company. So, was, so that's sort of, that was on my mind because when I read, we spread, I was at sometimes it's a swift read in some ways. And, you know, there's a lot of white space on the pages. Sometimes it would just be a question on a page. And sometimes when that happens, I feel like it's, it might be too shorthand like the, the author, I mean, I get this creeping suspicion might be, especially for a writer like Ian Reed, who was so intricate in I'm thinking of any things. It suddenly, it seemed possibly it was being slightly shorthand and um, broad stroked in terms of what he was trying to say, but I don't know. But then I did find out all these are being sold to TV and I, you know, I really, 
I guess there's a creative fulfillment there for an author, but also, you know, it has to be money too, I suppose. Anyway, but we spread, um, in a nutshell, is, is, it's really interesting. It's basically just the basic plot is that um, a woman named Penny, an elderly woman whose partner of like 40 years has died, is now living in the same apartment that she lived with him um, on her own. They were both painters, um, artists, and she's navigating being alone after so long and being older. And at some point she does fall and hit her head and her landlord or the caretaker of the property, the apartment building, brings her to this sort of um, assisted living facility called Six Cedars in the middle of this giant forest. And it's a very small facility in that it only has three other um, guests, shall we say, mm-hmm. in this uh, elderly assisted living um, facility and two employees. And so, it, and that's basically kicks off the story. Um, and where his sort of what's happening here mode comes in, uh, Ian reads is that at first she's sort of like, Oh, like the food is taken care of for me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually talking with other people, my age, I have sense of communication and belonging. I'm being taken care of, you know, my hair is being cut. My nails are being taken care of. Mm -hmm. And there's that sense of, um, of relief. And, but also the sense of dislocation, like, um, it made me think about the descriptions of her apartment that she had lived in for 40 years with her partner, like stacks of things all over the place. Like at one point it refers to a, a, an artwork she had done that was somewhere in the apartment, mm-hmm. you know, that it obviously is not front and center, but she knew it was somewhere in there, but like couldn't know where it was exactly because of the piles of just a whole life's worth of stuff. And then suddenly she's in this assisted living facility room where only a couple of objects traveled with her from her old apartment to this place. So it made me think a lot about like the objects we surround ourselves with, mm-hmm. like the meaning they have. And if that meaning persists through, through time, uh, your own personal time frame, and the, um, then the dislocation of, uh, being taken from this apartment that you've been in for most of your life to a brand new space surrounded by brand new people while initially comforting or relief of, of sorts, then can also become disorienting, you Mm -hmm. know, like, where am I and what am I doing here? And exactly what, you know, new relationships to navigate where you were alone primarily most of the time. So that can have a sort of sense of unease to it and Mm -hmm. um, conflicted with the sense of uh, relaxing into being taken care of. So there is the element of, is there something happening in this very, you know, unusually small um, assisted living place, not small in stature or scope, but like how many people are there? Mm -hmm. Are the people running it like up to no good or is there something else going on here? Or is it all in Penny's mind? And and, and the whole book is, is from Penny's point of view. It's her narrative that is being told. And, you could say she's unreliable or not. And it goes from there. What are you doing? Are you intrigued? I am very intrigued. I can't tell if this is like 
Like, is the horror part just the aging, or is there like another horror element? Well, I mean, I'm I, waiting for I'm a jump scare. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking anything's had more horror elements than than this one. I think does, but it, it edges into it depending on what you can take. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't find it horrifying, and what he didn't. I'm thinking of ending things was uh, this this balance between horror and like sort of trenchant poignancy. Um, like a sense of, you know, again, existential, um, you know, poignancy, really, in the first one, I thought. But in this one, the, the it's more thriller, if okay. you want to put it somewhere, okay. and horror, I think. There's not, like, I mean, there's some images of, of that could be distasteful, but not, like, violent, horribly, horribly violent. Like, one of the... Um, characters that she gets to know and actually starts developing a relationship with it she notices is starting to have this um sort of fungal spread on his i know on his body which can be body horror and stuff but um and it is a little like hmm, makes you think like ooh, scratching your back about you know finding mm-hmm. something but i don't know i mean spoilery alert i mean it, oh, that's the other thing. It, it could be read, I think, in multiple ways. And I was, I was going to ask you if you feel like you've read a book that was like this, a book that can be almost st- uh, steadfastly interpreted in multiple ways and the text supports both ways. Like, uh, I always think of Turn of the Screw mm-hmm. by Henry James, like, does the governess see ghosts or is it all in her mind? And mm-hmm. the text can support, sort of support both interpretations. So in this book, is Penny really apprehending something terrible happening in this facility? Mm-hmm. Or is it really just her own mind declining? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the cataclysm of the change of um, environment forcing this to happen. And I think it sort of can support both views. Um, What's your take on it? Um, personally, I would, I feel like it's, there could, I feel like, well, it brings up all the issues that I like to contemplate or that I think the text supports in that it is a sort of portrait of a, of an older, an elderly person who is declining in that, in physically and, and mentally um, but it sounds like such a pejorative, but I don't mean it that way. I mean, the natural aging process is happening mm-hmm. and the dislocation that occurs brings up feelings and it brings up a lot of other feelings about what her life was like before, what her art was like to her, what, um, what autonomy is like, what control you should have over yourself and what you eventually cede to others, you know, like she's even bathed by some of the people, the one of the two people in the um, facility. And I, I wrote like autonomy, um, the question of autonomy in our lives and, and how sometimes you can look at an older person and think of them as less than a person mm-hmm. because they seem so needy and childlike, yet they are not with the sort of freshness of a child that makes you want to love it. It's harder to so-called in quotes love and a person who's older or, and has a fungal infection or has something that they have to deal with. Um, and then the question of fruition, like what is a successful life? Like what, um, 
what like with with Penny's relationship to her art, like what um did she achieve? What didn't she achieve? Did she make the right choices about that? Because the art producing art weaves its way through the book as well. So I actually think it's sort of a portrait of a mind navigating this this change and this, mm-hmm. this stage, this you could say final stage. Um, and in that respect, I think it ends um, in the only way it can, which I won't say, I guess. Um, and if you look at it, but yet, because the way I looked at it was that there were, there were scenes of um, seeming nefariousness or disruption mm-hmm. that you could interpret as they, there was something afoot in this facility that was not, you know, completely just to help the elderly occupants. But I, t- I interpreted that as a, as a, as her viewpoint of being in a strange environment. And when you're that close quarters with a group of people, even if they are like your nurse or something, mm-hmm. eventually their personality and their humanity will manifest. Meaning they're not just a blank um, performer of taking care of you that has no humanity to them. In other words, one of the guy, the other guy is the head of it of this facility and, and sort of a helper nurse. Um, she sees, she's turning a corner in the, in the hallway and sees him crying um, and upset and she turns away and she's, and that could be made. And the way that it's written, it could be something as, as terrible is happening. He, why is he so emotionally distraught? Mm-hmm. But I thought if you live in an environment where you see the same people every day, eventually that's what I mean. Their humanity will come through mm-hmm. and you might catch someone in a, not a great mood that day or who mm-hmm. might be in your tears because something is happening in their life. I mean, I think about that all the time at work when we work with the same 12, 15 people every day and invariably someone's going to have a so-called bad day or mm-hmm. act in a way that seems strange to you. This is merely the point. Someone could act very strange to you and you could be like, wow, what's going on with them? And they could have just like gotten bad news that they're not telling you about because you're a colleague mm-hmm. or they could have had a bad moment with a, with a, you know, family member or whatever. And then they're coming to work and trying to perform without really telling you about it, but it's coming through. And so you sort of sense something's off there. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. So I think you could interpret it as a thriller, but I was really looking at it as just her way of navigating other people that she had never spent time with before mm-hmm. at this stage of her life. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. So this book, you said you've read the previous book, uh, books by this author read are they all interconnected or is it just like they're all standalones oh they're all standalones oh okay but they have a similar kind of theme of like the kind of horror aspect well that's a that's a a good question because i think he really just writes about relationships and 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 people but he's his particular i guess brain when he writes about these things does sometimes go into a very um dark um I, you want to use the word creepy, which is a word I don't like because it feels like pejorative and it feels like diminishing it, but, you know, a slightly sort of like dread, a feeling of mm-hmm. dread is always present or a feeling of um, dislocation and disorientation um, comes into it. But he's, so that's just, I think, his natural brain. That at least came through to me what was I'm thinking of ending things. And it does, ha- it has persisted through his three fiction books where you have in relationships that, you know, have these possible alternative meanings mm-hmm. that are darker and mm-hmm. more disorienting mm-hmm. than thought of. Um, 
So I was a fan. So this, yeah. So that's interesting. I feel the way you describe it, because I am not somebody that can read like outright horror, but the the way it seems like it's situated between maybe it's horror, maybe it's not, is very interesting to me. So I kind of want to read it. And I kind of, uh, I looked, I skimmed the um, summary yeah. of Foe, the second book. Yeah. And I can see what you mean because there's, based just on the like the summary, it seems like it could be this like a ghostly figure or it could be something else that's happening. It's very unsure. And right. I, I think that's um, something that I would like to read. Actually, all of these. Yeah. I'm thinking that anything can be quite intense. I mean, uh, there's a scene and I'm thinking of ending things that doesn't have anything blatantly horrific, like mm-hmm. or anything like that. But he writes in such a way, like it's someone going downstairs in a basement, which already sounds scary, but he makes it so ominous and so like, what is happening here? That I was sort of blown away. And that was made into a, a sort of interesting, an interesting movie. Actually. It, it tried to capture the sort of, you know, disorientation of the book visually, which see, there's an example. I did see it, but I don't, I could have lived without the movie. Mm-hmm. The book is what I won't forget. The, I was just looking at the description of the book. I'm thinking of any things and they're very vague in it. So I feel mm-hmm. like I just have to read it. Maybe because they don't want like a, a twist to be, um, yeah, there is a twist in that book. Yeah. So maybe they're just being very careful. I think it could be with, all of his books, in a way, I think the twist is more subtle in, mm-hmm. in this one. We was, this, was we spread? It came out this year? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I had it on hold before we even got the copies in. Uh, I was like, maybe I can go to uh, SNFL and see if there's I think a it's, copy I think on it's, the shelf. It should be on the shelf there. It should be? Oh, okay. Maybe I'll go. I mean, I just... I just returned a bunch of books that were massively late. So hopefully they'll let me check out some more. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, did we mention, we, we've talked about how NYPL has no fines right now. Yeah, you have no fines, but I think some of the books I had were so late. They oh, they were, a, they were almost lost. Like a replacement book fee right. on it. And I was like, okay, I think I have to return these now. And yeah. usually I think when you do, they just remove them. I've been finding that the public is very good about returning. Oh, you, you know what? A side note, I went to the Yalsa conference this past weekend. And uh, so there's a, Yalsa is a young adults, like library services association, if I have that correctly. Um, so I was able to go to a bunch of teen panels, including some um, from my colleagues here. Um, but I remember one of the panels, I think the one that Elisa and Shantae did um, from our Center for Educators and, and Schools team, I think they asked the question of like how many libraries are fine free now. And a lot of people raised their hands. And I just thought that was like really delightful to see because I knew like, you know, that was the way things were going. And of course, NYPL is fine free as as well as a lot of um, big library systems. But to see that many hands go up was yeah. really great as like a cross section of the of America. Hopefully. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, like, like a lot of industries, I mean, or institutions, uh, you know, first the internet and this pandemic, how we look at things. I mean, I've said this before that everything's similar enough. It's also, we had the renovations. So that's that. 
everything's similar enough, but just different enough that I'm curious to see how we progress, even though it feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels really good at the line. Yeah. It's such a good feeling of, I don't know, this sanctuary space of uniqueness. I, I, don't know. I, I mean, I just like the fact that the, being fine free is something that's really normalized now because when I was in the branches, I think it was such a struggle in terms of um, blocking access to books that kids, I mean, the kids that were getting the fines, right? The teens that were always getting the fines were the ones that were the biggest readers. So I think they needed the book, the books the most. And so for that to like block them just because they tend to read a lot, it felt incredibly unfair. So I'm really glad that that has obviously changed. Um, should I talk about my book really quick? Please. Pin up. Tiny it it's oh. a tiny, tiny, tiny. Uh, I, a slim I, book. Yes. Slim volume. Is Happy that a book by him? Mm-hmm. This, when did this come out? Um, sometime this year. But I think it is a, because we were talking about this before we started recording about, um, reading more like long form essays together. And I believe this was like a 2012 uh, essay, like online essay publication that uh, I think got made into this very slim, I think 48 page book by New Directions. And it's my pen up a peon, am I saying that correctly? My pen up a peon to Prince by Hilton Alce. And it's described, so I figured this is a book that you would like because celebrity culture, Prince. Um, uh, So this is, it's described as a memoir, but it's really tough to put a memoir into 48 pages. But I think what it does in a very interesting and impactful way in a very small number of pages and words is to talk about certainly Prince, but like using Prince, the musical artist as this, I would say at times mirror, but then at times avatar, right? Where it's almost like there's this comparison of uh, Hilton House as like Prince in some ways, kind of inhabiting him, but also like a reflection of him and also a reflection of his like own desires. And then also um, an avatar for his past, um, I wanna say lover, but I'm not really sure. It was somebody that he was in love with, although the relationship I think never really fully formed. He just like was in love with this person and that person like later met um, a woman that he introduced him to and then um, that relationship continued. Wow. But it was just very interesting in terms of placing Prince as the focal points or the lens through which all the rest of the writing kind of flows through. And I think it's done really well. His writing, I find to be uh, incredible. I think it's a book, even though very, very small, again, if you're going to buy this book, it's it's a very small book. Um, it's something that I, I can see people reading over and over again, because his writing is, is that good. I mean, the way it starts too was, was, I was like, where is this going? Because it starts with a description of Jamie Foxx's, um, honestly, like homophobic um, joke mm. in I, oh, a television stand-up special called I Might Need Security, where he talks about meeting Prince and feeling like looking into his eyes, like I'm not a, and he would use the F slur. Uh-huh. Like I'm not gay, um, but there's something about looking in his eyes, like the power of it. Um 
Mm. Which was very intriguing, I think I'll say. I mean, kind of terrible, but also just, just intriguing. Like, for example, there is a part where um, Al says, uh, kind of describes the the joke stand-up from Jamie Foxx, um, more existential shrugging. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, so there's a lot of curse words uh, because, quote, this little pretty bee came out with a little ice skating outfit on, you know, with the boots sewn into the S. And I'm like, that's nice. I'm not gay. I'm just saying that's nice. More existential shrugging of the shoulders, uh, turning away from the audience, embarrassment and confusion as Fox's desire attaches itself to a different or rather unexpected form. This is America, after all, where for sex to be sex, it needs to be shaming. And then it continues onwards. Mm. I just thought this was like such an interestingly tidy, bite-sized um, entry into this person's life. I had not um, read Hil Hilton Alps before, although I have heard of um, their writing. Hilton Alps writes for The New Yorker, and I've read him for years. I follow him. Oh, you have? Great. Instagram as well, Jefferson Market does. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have his, he came into like 15 years ago, he came into the Jefferson Market one rainy morning. And I knew who, who he was then. I think he wrote for The Voice, Village Voice. Um, did he win? Oh God, he did win an award. Did he win the poll? Yes, he did. Did he? To forget. Is it staff writer at the New Yorker and associate yeah. professor at Columbia? Oh, Pulitzer Prize winner. Yes. Yeah, he just recently what did he win it for like journalism or s. Uh, okay. Yeah, because he writes nonfiction. Um, but I love, I do love that. That's Like as you were talking about Prince and what Jamie Foxx was saying about. Prince, it's that it is that strange connection. Usually, when you're alone, even if you're in a theater, when you're watching a movie or a music performance or something, you're, you're still alone in a way because you're all facing forward and focused on the stage. Um, that connection between you and the performer that feels very personal mm -hmm. and impactful and can carry through your whole life. Like people can be fans of Prince in, in a very intense private way for 30 years, you know, and that coupled with how strange that is in a way, because you don't know in them, mm -hmm. they're not like family really. I mean, it yet there is this probably maybe even more intense connection through their art or work or, or like Jamie Foxx said, like the look in his eyes. I mean, mm -hmm. you can see one shot mm -hmm. of two seconds in a movie that could, you remember the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the interesting thing to me. It's like, you know, being 12 years old and watching TV when you should be in bed and seeing this moment on TV that you shouldn't by rights be up to see, but you do. And it, impacts you and you don't forget it that connection is so interesting to me it is so interesting maybe it has to do with what we started talking about the trust issues i don't trust or of the intensity of emotion you can feel with someone you technically don't know the way you do know them through their art technically is an expression of a pretty serious side of themselves yeah i, I mean like thinking about back to our other conversations about like celebrity memoirs um 
but that idea of like that person it doesn't really matter who they are as like real people but like their persona and what they represent to the person who's like viewing them is yeah. the thing that matters the most um i was going to add in this too that um he often talks about um Dorothy Parker, I'm trying to find the right quotes, mm -hmm. but, you know, was my dream to be his girlfriend, his Dorothy Parker, a dream or an appropriate response to love, pure and not so simple. But I had to look up Dorothy Parker because I didn't know right. a ton. Yeah, because I was like, oh, I, I know, I know Frank will know who this person is. Yeah. Um, so apparently there's a song called The Ballad of Dorothy Parker by uh, Prince, and it's unclear if Prince in the song references, I think there's a literary critic named Dorothy Parker, um, or if it's not. Um, but I think in the book, uh, Hilton House, I mean, obviously with, you know, his relationship to, to criticism, I think is also referencing like the real life Dorothy Parker. Well, yeah, I think he's, well, what, what was the quote again? Slow, slow down, hon. What, what was that there, quote? There's quite a few I'm sections where he... So I'll I'll go I'll find another here. I'll read that one. I'll find you another one as well because it's mentioned so many times. Dorothy Parker is mentioned multiple mm -hmm, times. Mm -hmm, so many Dorothy times. Dorothy Parker is the she's the writer who's also fa famous for now for her wit and mm -hmm. fighting wit. And she was part of the Algonquin Roundtable mm -hmm. of writers. And um, I mean, I I'm trying to think of some of the things I could say on the podcast. I mean, some of them are sort of salacious. Um, but one of the one that comes to mind is that she's always very biting and cynical. Um, mm -hmm. She's she she's I can't remember the context. It was probably a celebrity, but she's going through the doorway with a, another celebrity, and you know they're being the celebrity was being catty to her and says to her, Dorothy Parker, um, "Well, age before beauty." Meaning, you go first, Dorothy. Mm -hmm. You're an old hag, and I'm a young, beautiful person. And she mm -hmm. just looks at her, walks through the door, and says, "Pearls before swine," <laughs> which is well, very clever, right? So, it, yeah. It, so, in so throughout this book, he says constantly, like, um, at at one point, he's behind the stage interviewing, I think, Prince before a show or maybe after a show. And he's getting his like makeup put on and Alice writes, he was my Dorothy Parker. And then a couple pages later, um, you know, I wanted to be his Dorothy Parker and his oh sister. You know what I mean, Prince. I, so he's also talking to Prince in, in mm. this respect, but talking about his, the, the, his uh, love interests. I wanted to make him scrambled eggs and I did. I could not make a poem out of my, out of any of it. Dorothy Parker, dark haired, helmet haired, was never a waitress like in your song, Prince, but she wrote some poems, not like yours. You can't write everything. In any case, you got certain things about her right in your do ragged heads, and then you put them in your song lines like, Dorothy Parker was cool, and then on and on. Um, and then he continues to say, like, I wanted to be his Dorothy Parker. I wanted to be his Dorothy Parker. And I looked Meaning up. Meaning Hilton Owls wanted to be Prince's Dorothy Parker? So Prince is Dorothy Parker, but also Prince is a, like a stand in for this love interest. Oh, too. So okay. it, it kind of flips back and forth, which is like, I think the, mm -hmm. the way he writes this is really intriguing because 
it kind of fades in and out. And so you have this one perception, oh, he's talking about Prince. And it fades into, no, he's talking about his like you know, oh, love interests, okay. which I, I think is really well done. I, I thought it was fun to read it like that. Um, but in the, as he mentioned in the song lyrics about Dorothy, Dorothy was a waitress um, in the Prince song lyrics. And it, one line says, well, I ordered. Yeah, let me get a fruit cocktail. I ain't too hungry. Dorothy laughed. She said, it sounds... It sound like a real man to me. You're kind of cute. You're kind of cute. You want to take a bath. And I guess they have a bath on together or something. I'm very but. confused. Um, <laughs> so I didn't even know Prince had a, this relationship with Dorothy Parker. No, no. What I'm saying is. I'm confused. Sorry. From what I understand in the lyrics of what Prince has written, he has a character named Dorothy Parker. But he has said that that is no relation to the Dorothy Parker of, of real yeah, life. Really? Right. Yes. Yeah. And so it could have been like, he just like heard the name or something else I think is making that connection because uh, of his interest in Prince. And then his, I think um, it being in the world of like criticism and, and literature. Right. So I think he's the one that's making that kind of connection. I, I'm assuming. I see. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I never heard that song. I didn't know that song. Um, yeah. I see. He was just, the name seemed, I don't know. Based on princevaults.net.com.org or whatever, whatever Prince website I went to trying to look up this information, they said that um, the Prince said he didn't know Dorothy Parker. It was just a uh, name that was like he made up in his head or maybe hers. Interesting. And then Hilton Al's being a writer. Yeah, I think relates it still made the connection to the real Dorothy Parker. Yeah, in like in a very intentional Mm. way, I think. Um, Interesting. I didn't know that about Prince. I mean, uh, doesn't mean I know everything about him, huh? Now I'm confused. I'm well, not confused. I'm intrigued to think if you really did not know who. I mean, who who knows with Prince, right? I mean, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Not that I think it really matters for this book or essay whether or not he did or did not know. But I do love that literary rumination on celebrity as, as well as the less literary ruminations on celebrity that I've talked about in the past. But, um, you know, Hilton Ells, because these, these celebrity is such a weak word, but these stars or fig, creative figures are so potent in our lives mm-hmm. or can be that ruminating on them is pleasurable, but also like they do become characters yeah. in the mythological landscape of your mind and also the culture clearly. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the whole like Dorothy Parker thing that we were talking about, like, I really don't think, as I said, it mattered whether or not Prince knew her. What mattered mm-hmm. was that Hilton Alice knew right. her because that's what, what you're well, going to get with this book, you know? Exactly. That's, you know how, you know, there are fans, as we know now, especially now with the internet, who can really go, have, like fan fiction comes out of this, that can really go into um, an analysis of a work, right? Of a, And then that, if that artist gives an interview, they could be like, oh no, I was thinking about something different. Like, I hate reading those interviews because I don't really want to know in some ways if the backstory doesn't work with my story mm-hmm. because they, once they create the art or the work 
it's mm-hmm. no, it's ours now. It's everyone's. Like yeah. I, it's, it's in my head. So I, if it, if yours, if the artist's backstory doesn't match my story about it, like it it's disillusioning to mm-hmm. think about. Obviously, um, that's why I don't tend to read that kind of thing. Um, um, but I like that way you're saying that kind of once that artwork is put into the world, we take on this kind of ownership of it. It's like even what you were talking about earlier, like catching your rides, like you know, we own it now because we, the story has meant so much to us. Um, and we're angry if, you know, they sell the work or they make a parody of the work or, or do something else with it because it feels like something that is so deeply important to us. Exactly. Herd of horses, the Crystal Chen story. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be, be herding cats, the Crystal Chen story. <laughs> That's the We were like story. looking into the middle distance with the <laughs> horse background. And that, that little jacket you're wearing, it looks sort of cool. Is it denim? It's, no, it's an Everlane jacket. It just looks, you look like you're on the prairie. It's a cotton jacket. It's actually kind of chilly, to be honest. I should it have is. I'm wearing a warmer. sweater. I'm wearing a sweater. What are we reading next week? I think you should read this and I should read an Ian Reid book. (laughs) Well, I have, I have my book discussions at the library have kicked into high gear. So I'm setting those up and I have to read those. What's your next book that you have to read? I'm going to tell you. I mean, why? I want to read along. I want to be a part of your book group. Not really. There's actually no copies in the system because I have them all for my book group. Um, Okay. But what, what book is it? I'll find a copy. There's bookstores around here. They're so cute. Do you really want to read it? Well, it's I mean, I'm, I want to. I want to know what it is, and then I want to decide if I want to read it. I did really enjoy reading Anomaly. Oh, how did they um, react to that book? Your book club. Um. Oh, it was a really great dis- discussion. Mm-hmm. It really was. I mean, like any book that's sort of tough or can be problematic or can be, you know. People or you can feel like I'm not sure I liked it or not. Like the conversations mm-hmm. I've found over the years have been some of the best because mm-hmm. I, I know that with the um, I think I told you this right with the Nabokov, the um, hey, speak memory, his memoir, like mm-hmm. someone had come in really against Nabokov. And, and after the discussion about that book was like, I've changed my view of him. Um, but Anomaly uh, was it was just wonderful conversation um how often did somebody say the matrix no not not often oh this is a different crowd than different crowd hang out with oh boy i mean i wouldn't even bring it up because i like i've said i don't even really know that i i told you i've only seen the first one and i was this is (laughs) my sci-fi head i saw the matrix with people and they were all like Mm -hmm. raving about it and i was like i don't understand what happened oh I didn't get it at all. And I was on the board too. I mean, I'm just it's not my thing. Well, I would I'm gonna agree with that because I you remember how I told you I was gonna watch the second half of the most recent Matrix movie on the plane back to New York. Right. I did, and after it finished, I was like, I don't understand any of this. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know why I watched this. Yeah. Um no. Did I mean, talk- it's interesting because that's sort of like the book, you know, the book certainly I read, we spread that could be interpreted multiple ways. It doesn't just spoon feed you with a genre story, um, mm-hmm. which technically could be confusing, but it doesn't bother me as much in books as it does in movies. Or I just tune out in movies if I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, it's sci-fi also just seems like, I don't know. Let's not go down that road right now. But um, um, something else I was going to say, I forgot, it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so I also, just to put it in there, I, I want to, and I think we're going to try to, I'd love to just to read articles in the world together, like just the cultural landscape and sort of discuss those. I'd love to discuss some social issues and some mm-hmm. things written about in the culture to, that are intriguing. So that's down the pike too. If, if people have suggestions, they can oh, it's a good email, idea. leave a comment. I don't know. I don't know anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do they do? <laughs> they can comment on iTunes, but um, they can leave. A, they can send an email to emails in our blog post podcasts at NYPL. Okay, all right. Yeah. We don't have the comments on the blog co- post blogs. Don't oh exist. yeah. People can't comment. Actually, I would love that if somebody has an article they want to suggest. Mm-hmm. I can, they just have to be something that's not. A librarian out there. Mm-hmm. They just have to. It has to be, it should be ideally an article that is not behind a paywall just right. so that people can access it. Mm. Or in the databases at the library. Yes. Or which yes. we do the paying for you. Or, or, or those long form essays that then get published into books like mm-hmm. the one I just read. Um, that kind of stuff. Totally fine. Or like, or even like I have read collections of essays like Thick, where um, each chapter is a different essay and we can just focus on the chapter. Mhm. 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 Mm-hmm. All right, that sounds intriguing. Intriguing. Oh boy. Anyway, okay. I just looked around in the windows. It's sunny. The mm-hmm. trees are beautiful and we just did this thing in our lobby at Jefferson Market where people can write a post-it. That we put a poster up that said what are you thankful for? Mm, and the talkback board. What? Yeah. And people are, I just did it when we closed last night and there's like seven when I walked in this morning already. One of them was like a functioning bathroom in the library because we have a new bathroom, which is great. But the rest were like to be in this moment um, and things like that. And I was like, I love this so much. And I love that, you know, I walked in, it's like, who came through the lobby? I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Like who, wrote this like who where are they now like are they in the yeah. library somewhere did they leave already i mean I love maybe that. they're watching you read it but so yeah maybe they're watching. see like, that sounds like a creepy moment but, are you gonna um, post it on instagram maybe doesn't that immediately have to go on social media i can enjoy it in irl <laughs> um but a librarian on staff had suggested it because she said with all the tum- tumult in the world right now mm-hmm. and always uh, the elections, everything. Um, she she said it'd be nice to focus on what we're thankful for. Yeah. And I guess she was thinking about Thanksgiving coming up, but like that idea of thankfulness. And I love that. So I yeah. put it up. And because even if you're like, oh, that's silly. Even if you see the sign for maybe a second, you think you do think about what you're thankful for. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Yeah. Libraries. Love them. <laughs> love being in them. <laughs> love working in them. Love using them. So anyway, so Crystal, it was a pleasure. Very much so. I don't think I'm going to see you before the holidays, am I? Uh, if not, uh, I think we have no, we meet a after. good one. We'll meet a week after. Um, okay, perfect. Well, have a good holiday yourself. Okay. Goodbye. There we go. We're done. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to The Librarian is In, a podcast by the New York Public Library. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, or send us an email at podcasts at nypl.org. For more information about the New York Public Library, please visit nypl.org. We are produced by Christine Farrell. Your hosts are Frank Hilarious and Crystal Chen.